When Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus by night, he was a religious leader, and he had been convinced that Jesus was a man called by God. But he wasn't saved. And the Lord did not drive him away. He did not say, you're just a hypocrite. He didn't say, you're a, a lost soul without hope. There's no hope for you. And he didn't send him into despair. But rather, he told him he needed a new heart. He needed to be born again. And praise God, he was. He was. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and today we're going to be turning to Jeremiah chapter 8. And I want to deal with man's despair. In this nation of Canada, as in other nations, we have a serious drug problem. Opioids, fentanyl, and marijuana now soon to be uh, unleashed upon our whole society when it's legalized, as is the plan of our liberal government. We sense despair among the hearts of men and women. Day after day, we have reports of people overdosing. They die as a result of their craving for drugs. Such despair must come from dreadful emptiness of heart. And we wonder where this may lead. The young generation growing up is in extreme danger. This is not just something now of people in the area of street people, but this is something that's happening among the wealthy and even in church-going families. Oh, we need to pray that God will restore the hope of the gospel to the heart of men. I want to read to you Jeremiah 8, verse 18. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? And that's very much the question of our day. Why is the health of the daughter of my people not recovered? Oh, the tragedies and the sorrow uh, that the drug industry is bringing and the suicide rate, the, the emptiness of hearts that leads to it, and then the bereavement and the sorrow of families as a result of these things. May God in grace have mercy upon our nations and upon the families of this country. Let's unite in prayer a moment. We will call on God to hear the cries of our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus unto thee, and we bring to thee this dreadful sense of despair that is upon our nations. And we ask, O God, for those that are empty of heart, that have seemingly no hope in this world. And we know that this world offers no hope, but it only offers death and despair. 
We rejoice today that our Lord Jesus is a Savior who brings hope. And we pray that you would, in grace and in power, shine the light of your gospel into the hearts of men, women, and young people, that they may look unto Jesus and be saved. Lord, we believe there is a bomb. There is power in the crosswork of Christ and in the blood of atonement to turn men away from emptiness to enjoy the fullness and satisfaction that is in the Lord Jesus. Oh, that today that you would turn hearts and lead them, draw them to yourself. Now hear this prayer and remember the work of parents and teachers and those that are seeking to guide youth away from these wicked things. Oh, that you would help them and bless them. We ask for your mercy and your grace in the Savior's precious name. Amen. Stay tuned with us now as we turn to our message today from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8. You may care to turn it up and follow along as we minister to your heart from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church. There is, according to Luther, something more drastically wrong with man than any particular list of offenses which can be enumerated, confessed, and forgiven. The very nature of man is corrupt. The penitential system feels because it is directed to particular lapses. Luther had come to perceive that the entire man is in need of forgiveness. In the course of this quest, he had wrought himself into a state of emotional disturbance, passing the bounds of objectivity. When then his confessor said that he was magnifying his misdemeanors, Luther could only conclude that the consultant did not understand the case and that none of the proffered consolations was of any avail. He had arrived at a valid impasse. Sins to be forgiven must be confessed. To be confessed, they must be recognized and remembered. If they are not recognized and remembered, they cannot be confessed. If they are not confessed, they cannot be forgiven. The only way out is to deny the premise. But that Luther was not yet ready to do. Staupitz, a mentor in his monastery, at this point offered real help by seeking to divert his attention from individual sins to the nature of man. Luther later on formulated what he had learned by saying that the physician does not need to probe each postule to know that the patient has smallpox, nor is the disease to be cured scab by scab. To focus on particular offenses is a counsel of despair. When Peter started to count the waves, he sank. The whole nature of man needs to be changed. Luther sought unto many policies to find rest for his soul. He became a mystic, seeking to bring his own soul into submission to a vengeful God to do whatever pleased him. He became a blasphemer of God's goodness by fixating on God's anger and even pictured the Son of God riding on a rainbow, consigning damned souls to the flames of hell. Luther was in deep soul trouble. The cure came in a most surprising way and in an alarming manner to Luther. Staupitz arranged for Luther to become professor in the newly formed University at Wittenberg. 
Even more shocking to Luther, he was to assume the chair of Bible at the university. A young man on the verge of a nervous collapse over religious problems was to be commissioned as a teacher, preacher, and counsellor to sick souls. Staupitz was practically saying, Physician, cure thyself by curing others. Luther set himself to learn and expound the scriptures. On August 1st, 1513, he commenced his lecture on the book of Psalms. In the fall of 1515, he was lecturing on St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. The epistle to the Galatians was treated throughout 1516 to 17. These studies proved to be for Luther the Damascus Road. Father, we thank you tonight that we have this word of the Lord in our hands. We pray thee to hide it in our hearts and that every soul will rejoice in the good news that Jesus saves. We pray that in these days that you will gather in your people, gather in the lost, build your church. You have promised, Lord, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We plead that for our own a local congregation. Lord, defeat the gates of hell, defeat the schemes and plans of the devil, and give the victory and liberty to souls tonight. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to that great text then in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I think you can appreciate that this season of fall calls for this text. And right now, mid-October, yes, the harvest is uh, past, the summer is ended, the leaves are falling, and the storms are coming. And right across this country, we are soon entering into the winter season. Now, they are, first of all, noticed by the barren fields. And on that trip all the way across from Toronto, you could look out from the aircraft and see the fields that are harvested. And I know that some parts of the country, the crops are not quite in, and there's a concern about that. 
but in many parts those fields are now barren. The crops have been removed, and the silos are filled. In places like the Okanagan, you could see that the vines are now empty. The pickers have been, they have done their work, and those grapes are gathered in, and another year's produce has been gathered in. Now, there is this link between what we experience in the cycles of the seasons and at this season of the fall uh, to our own lives. Because as we think of the crops, of the leaves on the trees, it's also true of our own lives. The cycle of our life is very short, and our life is just like the falling of a leaf or the binding of a sheaf. And this text that Jeremiah depicted here, it sounds like the clanging of the gate cell. It sounds like the doom of a soul where the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And these could be the words of people who despair. And if we understand these to be the popular words and statements of Israel, and Isaiah or Jeremiah is quoting them, they are despairing because they have sinned against God, they have brought God's judgment, and time is running out. Judgment is coming, and we are not saved. Now, Jeremiah was a realist. He was very burdened for the plight of the people. And if you go to the next verse, you'll say, you will read here his saying, for the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. The first word hurt there means ruin. And yes, Israel was headed for ruin. And then he says, for their hurt am I hurt. And the second word hurt is actually a different Hebrew word, and it means bursting. He was so burdened, he was so overwhelmed with the plight of the people to whom he was called to preach that his own soul was filled to bursting. And you'll read there in chapter 9, he said, "'All that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears.'" You can see the burden that Jeremiah had for the perishing people. And yes, this text, that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. It is a note of despair. But I want you to realize tonight that Jeremiah sought to preach the people out of despair. He was a realist to say, yes, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and you are not saved, but I'm here to bring to you the message of hope and not leave you in the midst of this despair. And of course, that is every preacher's task. Our task is not to preach people into doom. Our task in these gospel days is to preach people into hope and to the certainty that there is a way to escape the wrath of God and to have God's salvation. 
So where is the hope? Well, let's look at verse 19. And you'll notice here that uh, there is hope in that the Lord has not changed. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Now, this is one of those rhetorical questions that you can only answer yes to. It is meant to provoke the reality that God still exists, God is still the same, and He's still in Zion. He hasn't abandoned His people. And the moment that they turn to Him, the Lord will turn to them. And then in that verse 19 also, there is the cry of the daughter of my people. That cry is the cry of reality. It is not the cry of denial. It is the cry, we're in trouble. We're in danger. The armies of the Chaldeans are coming. The judgment of God is going to fall upon this city and this place. We are in serious trouble. And you know, that is the beginning of hope in the soul of any sinner. The person who tonight is living for the world and watching the television, living on Hollywood, no realization of their soul's condition. I fear for them. But if you're here tonight crying, sensing the reality of your lost condition, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and you're not saved, then do not despair. Because if you do face reality, and if you do recognize your need of salvation, that's the beginning of hope. That's the beginning of salvation for your soul. And so, tonight I want to preach to you about the many privileges that you've lost. That's the summer. Summer is the time of privileges. Then also there are the many opportunities that you've lost. That's the harvest. When the harvest is being gathered in and you are left behind, you've missed opportunities. And then also, don't despair, though you sense your soul is lost, because there is a Savior. So let's take that first point. Summer is the season of opportunities. During the summer, of course, those seeds that are sown in the early spring and when those little shoots come, the summer season just turns anything into amazing growth. Uh, you probably learned in biology class about photosynthesis, how the cells of plants multiply because of the sunshine that turns those cells just multiplying and multiplying. So that those little small plants, they grow tall stalks, and over the summer season, through the sunshine, they turn into ripened grain or into fruit. And so, summer reminds us of those privileges, the privileges of the heat, the warmth, the gentle breezes, the sunshine that brings everything to fruition. Now, you've had the privilege of the seed of God's Word sown in your heart. You have heard this gospel message before, perhaps many times. Has it sprouted in your life? Has the grace and the mercy of God that has 
fallen upon you over and over again in the summer season of your life? Has it caused you to grow into a strong Christian giving glory to God? Now, the seed is God's truth, giving you the knowledge of God. And that, of course, is what men all need. They need to know God. You remember Paul's prayer that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And of course, that's God's work growing Christians into strong people. But to date, you may have hardened your heart. Even though you have received the seed, you have received the gentle opportunities of coming to the knowledge of God. You've shut that out. And you said, I don't want to know. I'm not at all interested. And so, opportunities in your life have been lost. You've had the mercies now of really a full summer of life. And here is the preacher's difficulty tonight, because I don't know how long you're going to live. I know the Bible gives the generals three score ten years. Many are close to that tonight, and many never see it. The, the old must die, but the young may die. In my home area, just about a mile from where my mom lives, there is a young lady married to Beulah's cousin. She made a trip to Mexico, and there just on vacation, but there she ate something, picked up something, that caused her health problems. And just about a week, 10 days ago, she died. She succumbed to her illness. 28 years old, married with two little children. Young people may die. And this is my difficulty tonight because I don't know how long a full summer is for you. Death, harvest may come much more quickly than any one of us can imagine. But the Bible tells us, and the Lord Jesus preached this in the Sermon on the Mount, that the Lord in his goodness causes the sun to shine on the wicked and the righteous. He causes the rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous. That's one of the mysteries of earthly life. People ask the question, how does God allow that person to get away with their lifestyle? How does God allow the crook, the corrupt, and even the the, the outright wicked and evil prosper in this world? That's because God gives summer to all. They are days of opportunity. But what have you done with them? Can you say tonight that you are saved? How many years have you lived drinking in the rain and the sunshine of God's mercy and still you are not saved. We could say tonight, shame on you. We could say tonight, you deserve to be damned. You've already rejected the mercies of God. How can you ever be a Christian? But remember, Jeremiah took this text not to doom people to perdition, but to preach them out of despair. And I'm here tonight to tell you that even though you've spurned those opportunities, those mercies, those uh, privileges that you have shunned. Tonight, even though you're not saved, there is mercy for you. You can be saved. Why? 
because the Lord's still the same. The Lord is in Zion. He's still calling men and women to leave their sin and trust him. Yes, the privileges are flying away. Now we come to the days of not just privileges, but opportunity. And I have quite a number of those here tonight. You've had days of opportunity when others preached the gospel to you. I'm sure I'm not the first gospel preacher that you've heard. You're, I'm not the first person who ever challenged you that you need to be saved, that you need to be converted, and you need to be cleansed from your sins. You have had the witness of the gospel many times, and you know the very account of the gospel itself. You also know that Christ died on the cross. You're not even like that Muslim that I spoke of tonight. You know the facts. You know it's a true history that a man called Jesus, who was born miraculously of Mary's womb, lived 33 years, and at Calvary in AD 33, died on a Roman cross. And he died at the cruel hands of men but he also died under the punishment of God, and the weight of sin fell upon the Lord Jesus, and his sufferings was in the place of sinners. I'm not the first to tell you that. You've heard it over and over, but still tonight you're not saved. You have spurned the privileges and the opportunities, but still there is salvation for you. When Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus by night, he was a religious leader, and he had been convinced that Jesus was a man called by God. But he wasn't saved. And the Lord did not drive him away. He did not say, you're just a hypocrite. He didn't say, you're a, a lost soul without hope. There's no hope for you. And he didn't send him into despair. But rather, he told him he needed a new heart. He needed to be born again. And praise God, he was. He was. There's another man called Felix. Felix knew the facts of the gospel. That rhymes, doesn't it? Felix knew the facts. But he played the fool. And there's a text I'm going to read to you. It says, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come, I will know the uttermost of your matter. What did he do? He just put it off. He shirked his responsibilities. And that's probably the easiest thing that people try to do. They don't say, well, I'll never be a Christian. I don't ever to be saved. They just put it off. And Felix had the facts in his head, but he never had the Savior in his heart. And maybe, just maybe tonight, I'm preaching to one who's just like Felix. You've got the facts. You are privileged with the knowledge of the gospel, of the way of salvation, and what the Lord has done for souls, but you have never been saved. Well, tonight, come. This is your opportunity. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music